York and Chapel presents Brands That Matter, the weekly podcast that explores companies whose products, policies, or practices make the world a better place. Now here's your host, John Rarick. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Brands That Matter. We've got some great guests today. What began as one community's compassionate effort to reach struggling youth, Samaritan Daytop Village has, for over the past 50-plus years, evolved into a comprehensive human services agency with more than 50 locations throughout the metro New York City area. And with us today are Mitchell Netburn, President and CEO, and Jim Hollywood, Vice President of Residential Treatment at Samaritan Daytop Village. Mitchell, Jim, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you very much for having us on to talk about this very important topic. So, Mitchell, t- tell our listeners about Samaritan Daytop Village, a little bit about your history and your overall mission. Sure. Um, so we started, actually, we're approaching our 60th anniversary. Um, and uh, we started, um, as you said, a very small program in the borough of Queens in New York City. Um, and, you know, I've always been there to respond to the needs of, of New Yorkers. And, uh, you know, originally started, you know, more in, in the substance use disorder world. Um, and obviously with the opioid crisis, that continues to be a focus of ours. Uh, unfortunately, the, you know, those, those issues haven't gone away. Uh, but realizing that, you know, we're all complex human beings, uh, we've really expanded to include mental health services, employment services, opening shelters for homeless people, developing housing, senior centers, schools for youth, you know, I go on and on. Uh, but really, you know, treating the whole person and whole communities throughout New York City and the surrounding areas. So tell us a little bit about your process. How do, how do you identify folks at need and what's, what's the uh, process of, of you actually reaching out to help? Sure. So part of it is, you know, through a podcast like this, you know, getting the word out. Um, you know, we've got a very well-known name. Um, I've only been in this business about eight months, and when I told people uh, I was, you know, moving here, uh, many, many friends and colleagues, you know, were well aware uh, of Samaritan Daytop Village and the great work they do. So that that really helps because when our clients come to us, uh, they often know about us. Um, and you know, in addition to through various you know media outlets, uh, we work with you know other agencies very closely. Sometimes we're better at serving their clients, and vice versa. Um, you know, referrals from government agencies, uh, faith-based groups, on and on and on. Um, and, you know, we are almost, you know, our doors are open uh, to clients and really trying to meet them where they are. Yeah, and I think this is Jim Hollywood. We, uh, we have a no-wrong-door approach. Uh, so if anybody shows up at any one of our sites, uh, whether it's an outpatient program or residential treatment program, need for shelter, uh, our staff assess the comprehensive assessment for need is is done, and uh, we offer services across the spectrum from what a person might need, whether it's a mental health uh, uh, disorder, a substance use disorder, uh, uh, employment assistance, um, and, and housing. So it really is a, a no, no wrong door approach to uh, treating uh, people who show up for services. Yeah, and, and I know you do a lot of work with our veterans returning from foreign wars, and, and that's such a touchy subject these days because arguably our government's not doing such a great job of, of helping those folks out. How do you, how do you identify um, returning veterans? Do they find you? Do you find them? And, and how do you identify those at need, and, and what sort of services can you offer them? Sure. So our veteran services, 
began uh, in the mid-80s uh, with a uh, Korean War veteran, his name is Ed Thompson, who was on staff, uh, started doing uh, groups with uh, who, men who were showing up in the programs who uh, were coming out of the Korean War uh, and the Vietnam War and had never uh, had treatment for uh, PTSD. And so they started uh, sort of, uh, you know, a self-help movement of sorts, you know, meeting the needs of, of, of people that this, uh, other systems might not have addressed. And I think over the uh, decades, uh, we've partnered well with uh, the Veterans Administration, uh, with now New York City has done a tremendous job in creating uh, a, a Veterans Affair office out of the mayor's office. And other uh, um, entities, like the, the criminal justice system has recognized the need uh, and identify veterans when they're incarcerated, have uh, specialized veteran treatment courts. So we make those ties and inroads really because, uh, you know, is the, the scars of war are not always physical, uh, and many times they're mental. And, and so uh, they go unseen and, and, and unnoticed, and usually it's, uh, it's, it's, it's years after uh, someone leaves the service or, or that the symptoms worsen and then it becomes manifest in a severe addiction or a severe PTSD. And I would add that, um, you know, Samaritan and Daytime Pills are very proud that we've really been at the forefront of that. We were the first agency in the entire country to open uh, a residential uh, treatment program specifically for women's veterans. Um, so veterans, as you said, are sometimes, you know, lost it in, in, uh, amongst other groups and a uh, subgroup of that is women veterans who really uh, sometimes got lost. Um, and it's very hard making that transition back to civilian life. Uh, very often, the sort of horrors of war, the stresses of the military, you know, just lead to, as Jim was saying, post-traumatic stress syndrome, self-medicating with drugs or alcohol, um, and the impact not only on the veteran but on their family. So, again, we, we really try to treat the, the, the whole person and, and, you know, their family as well. Well, Mitchell, Jim, I'd like to get into the opioid crisis for a minute. I'd love to get your take on it. So I'm, I'm born and raised in New York, but I, I live in Philadelphia now. And Philadelphia is really undergoing a, a terrible situation with the opioid crisis. We've, we've got entire sections that have basically turned into tent, you know, tent villages throughout the city. Um, I'd love to hear your guys' take on, you know, we, we've, throughout my lifetime, I've seen a few different epidemics when it comes to substance abuse. Obviously, in the 80s, crack took over for, you know, in, in, uh, in the East Coast and most of the major cities throughout the U.S., but it seems like the opioid crisis is just back with a vengeance. Um, in your opinion, and I know your job is not to end the crisis per se, but to lend assistance where needed, is there any end in sight to this? And if so, what do you guys think is really the, the steps that we need to take as a country to fix this? Um, you know, I would start by saying, one, we need to view substance use disorder as a disease like any other disease. There's still stigma about it. So people are reluctant to come to programs, to admit it. Family members, coworkers are reluctant to raise the issue. Uh, and so I think if we just view it as a disease like any other and don't judge the person uh, who's been afflicted by this disease, uh, that that's a long way towards um, helping to uh, you know, stem the, the, this crisis. Uh, we need to have more facilities. There's you know, still uh, not enough programs, you know, residential treatment beds for people in need. Uh, needs to be on demand uh, when somebody who's you know, using opioids, when there's that moment when, when they want to get treatment, uh, you can't tell them come back tomorrow or, you know, even worse, a few weeks from now, uh, you've got to be able to 
you know, address that need immediately. It's like, you know, I mean, as a heart attack, they go to an emergency room. You don't say, come back tomorrow. We're, we're full today. Um, and, um, you know, I think we need to also take away the stigma of, you know, what's referred to as, uh, you know, medication-assisted treatment. Uh, there's, you know, lots of proven things like methadone that work. There's still some stigma around that. Um, so it's getting rid of the stigma, you know, increasing access, um, and, you know, I think, you know, they won't necessarily uh, completely reverse this tide, but uh, will help stem that. And then, uh, and parallel with that, I think we need to, you know, do more prevention efforts. Jim, do you want to add something? Sure. And, and I, I think, you know, one of the things was how caught by surprise, I think, the whole country was with the crisis and with, uh, you know, the depth of this wave. We, 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 we don't know. We, we don't see the trend sort of reversing right now. Uh, but, you know, the, we, we sort of have to live in that hope that, when we put as much effort towards it from, you know, uh, providing Narcan and training uh, both clients, family members, and staff on how to use it and getting it available in, in the community saves lives. And from that, that saves lives, be able to uh, reach out and, and, and engage folks into treatment. And to, as to Mitchell's point, uh, medication-assisted treatment is uh, an important tool in providing immediate uh, stabilization and care for somebody in crisis. So it, it is building a network of uh, treatment providers and, uh, um, and and systems like ours, residential treatment, outpatient treatment, uh, with addiction medicine and psychiatry interwoven with healthcare. Uh, it's really seeing the problem not as a one-dimensional uh, um, uh, disorder, but a multi-dimensional disorder. That is, it's the family, the uh, community, the health, uh, uh, the the employment, the housing. It's, tied in all together. I think if, if, if we have a comprehensive uh, approach to it, I think we will be able to, to stem some of that tie. Yeah, complicated issues, guys. I think one thing that, that we have going for us is it really transcends socioeconomic barriers. You know, this is not just uh, a poverty issue. This, you know, particularly when it comes to, to the abuse of prescription opioids, this is something that's affecting Americans across all economic stratus. So I, I think that that will probably help in the long run get to the solution if there is one. No, I would agree. Uh, you know, this has affected rural America as well as, you know, inner cities. Um, in New York City, the original epicenter was in Staten Island, not, not a borough that one normally associates with high substance use. Um, you know, it has uh, tragically spread to, you know, all other areas and other socioeconomic groups, uh, but you're right. Um, you know, drugs do not discriminate, um, and uh, people are equally affected by this from whatever socioeconomic level they're coming from. And you know, we we can't talk about the opioid epidemic without talking about fentanyl, which has just driven the the, the deaths to just you know astronomical numbers. Um, so obviously, you know, abuse of any drug or alcohol is bad, but when you're, you're dealing with opioids, and nowadays fentanyl is being mixed with all sorts of different drugs, um, and it is just so lethal um, that, you know, it's really taking a tremendous number of lives. You know, as Jim said, there is something like Narcan, which is a simple administrative thing that can reverse the effects and, and truly save lives. Uh, we need to expand that. Uh, but this is, um, you know, a crisis of really historic proportions. And I think the, the, the one glimmer of hope that we could probably pull from this is if, to your point, was that, you know, this uh, opiate crisis sort of uh, went against the common uh, uh, belief 
that it will, a drug addiction is, is a moral issue, is a poverty issue, is an inner city issue, and really it's a human issue. And that uh, you know, all of the protective factors that we think can keep one safe from uh, uh, a disease like addiction uh, falls apart when we look at how the crisis hit. So hopefully it, it humanizes uh, uh, the, the uh, addiction. Uh, and also when we translate it to other parts of the system that we provide services to, to homeless folks, to people who fall short of a, a, a housing need for people who need employment assistance, right? So we realize that we're treating human conditions uh, at, at the heart of it. So, guys, what's on the roadmap for Samaritan Tetop Village for 2019? <laughs> um, but what I think is being vigilant about the opioid crisis, certainly we are, uh, you know, there's some symptoms that maybe, it's, you know, the deaths are leveling off and, you know, that's even up in the air. But we just want to, you know, part of it is to, obviously, Samaritan Tetop Village will, will stay vigilant on this, but make sure that, you know, policymakers, government officials uh, don't take their, their foot off the pedal, so to speak, on this. It is still a crisis, and we need to continue to attack it with all resources available. Um, you, know, one of, you know, one of the things we're very excited about in 2019, uh, we'll be opening what's referred to as a diversion center, being funded by the city of New York. Um, and it's when the uh, New York City uh, police officer encounters somebody um, who's engaging in a very low-level crime or maybe not even a crime, just maybe uh, walking around the street, talking to themselves, disrupting traffic, um, that rather than ar arresting that person or not doing anything, they can bring them to this center where we'll have a full range of services. If the person, you know, is uh, abusing alcohol or, or substances, we can do what's referred to as detox there, get them into longer-term treatment. Uh, they can stay there after five days of, so that we can monitor them, uh, wrap around healthcare around them. We'll have medical staff on board, psychiatrists, to really you know, find out what's going on with that person and break that cycle and then get them into long-term treatment. This is a brand new model for the city of New York. Uh, there's a few cities around the country that have done it, but nothing like the model proposed here. Uh, we'll be opening that uh, in the fall of 2019, and they're really excited and continue Samaritan Day Top Village tradition of, of being at the forefront of things and always doing new and innovative things to address the needs of, of uh, New Yorkers. Well, that's wonderful. Mitchell, how can our listeners learn more or get involved? Sure. Um, so, you know, uh, one, they certainly go to our website. It's SamaritanVillage.org. Uh, we have a lot of information on there. Um, and, you know, we have facilities uh, in Long Island, throughout all five boroughs of New York City and several counties north. Um, and, you know, the, our phone number is there. Um, you know, we can, if they need a referral for the, either themselves or, as I said earlier, a coworker, family member, friend, uh, we can uh, get them to the, the right, uh, you know, place that's the most convenient for them, sort of even do a little assessment on the phone. Um, and, um, you know, we... Just, uh, you know, welcome, you know, sort of being community participants, coming to us. Uh, we pride ourselves on not just being a good neighbor, but really being a part of communities, a real resource uh, to them. Good. And, of course, our listeners can donate online at SamaritanVillage.org as well, correct? Uh, absolutely. If they go to that uh, website, um, you know, a very easy way to donate. 
Um, and what private funds allow us to do is to do, you know, innovative things. I mentioned the Diversion Center. There's, uh, you know, New York City is funding that. But, you know, sometimes uh, government likes to, to do, you know, tried and true things. And sometimes we want to try something new and different. Um, and it's those private funds that allow us uh, to, to be extra creative. Well, we'll make sure we put a link to your site in our show notes as well as a link to your social media presence. Samaritan Daytop Village, another great example of people really banding together to make the world a better place. Mitchell, Jim, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Join us next week for another episode of Brands That Matter. And please, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about York and Chapel, visit yorkandchapel.com.